Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 274. Uh, great show today. I really hope you're doing well, honestly. It's very hot here. Luckily, there's air conditioning where I live. Thank goodness uh, we can wear the flannel today. Um, I've run out of time, and I hope that grabs your attention. I've run out of time. What does that mean? I hope you're wondering, like, well, what does that mean, Zach? Uh, it's mid-August, meaning that in like three weeks, the NFL season starts. So I need to start doing some film analysis. And, and what that means is really that the, it's important to do film analysis because it allows me to feel more comfortable making NFL predictions. And all that stuff is coming very soon. And so after this episode, you know, in this episode, we're going to preview the NFL. What am I saying? The NBA playoffs. We'll talk about my predictions for round one in the NBA playoffs. Uh, we're going to talk about the Formula One race at the very end. Um, and then after this episode, I'm going to go away for a while. I'm in the middle of a TJ Watt film analysis. I'm in the middle of a Philip Rivers film analysis. I need to know, is Philip Rivers good? Is Derek Carr good? Is Marcus Mariota potentially going to challenge Derek Carr? I have so many questions right now. And for my own sanity and for the sake of my content later, I'm going to have to go away for a little while and just dive into film and get my bearings and try to understand some players a little bit better. And I, I think people very much understand that. I hate talking about stuff when I'm not informed. And so I was looking at Instagram the other day. Some guy goes, Zach's the kind of guy to just go, I'm going to watch the entire Jet season to figure out if Sam Darnold's good. I feel the exact same way. I need to dive into some film. Um, and what that means is that after this episode, uh, I'm probably not going to make an episode for a while. And that's, that's okay with me. That's a sacrifice i got to make. Um, for a while, I felt like I can't watch film because I need to cover this news story or that news story. And quite frankly, the NBA playoffs are really compelling to me. And I'm going to watch them. I'm probably just not going to talk about them as the games are happening. I'm not going to react to every single NBA game. I don't have time. I need to do film analysis. Probably after round one of the NBA playoffs, I'll check back in and do an NBA episode and talk about what happened. Did my predictions you know, follow through? What, what went wrong? Why was I wrong? Why was I right? Um, but my number one priority after doing this episode, I got to dive into film, not just for the sake of the show, for my own sanity. Um, so expect a lull for about a week. Then I'll come back. Bang. You're like, wow. There's a bunch of Ask Zach questions. There's a bunch of TJ Watt. There's a Philip Rivers. There's Derek Carr. Um, I think it's important work that needs to be done because I need to be accurate in my NFL predictions. Again, no Ask Zach today. I'm really sorry. I do have some phenomenal questions prepared. You guys have been delivering on Patreon. Um, but I want to wait and save them to pair them up with either a prop, hopefully by pair them up with a film analysis episode, honestly. Um, and if not, then I'll just do a, a standalone ask Zach episode. If it's, if film analysis takes too long and it's like, well, it's been seven days, I got to put out something, then we'll do a, an ask Zach episode, but I don't want to save those questions and keep them in my back pocket for when I need them. But I want to just make it very, very clear time is of the essence right now. Essence? Time is of the essence? Is that how you say that? I have no idea. I just know that my... I'm a little bit stressed, and stress is not the wrong word there. I'm understanding that it's time. It's time for film analysis. We got to get into it. And what that means is I'm going to have to sacrifice some of my other content, and that's okay, because I have questions I just need answered for myself. Now, today, before the film analysis stuff, um, I want to start here because... I just want to gush about the Portland Trailblazers a little bit. Um, originally, this was going to be one of those what we learned from 
topics were, you know, a WWFL, what we learned from, uh, WWLF, what we learned from, yeah, WWLF, excuse me. Uh, and I was going to talk about the Blazers-Grizzlies play-in game, and I still want to talk about that game briefly because, I mean, first of all, it's the first ever NBA play-in game, which is just so wild. And it was funny hearing people talk about how, what do you do with the stats from an NBA play-in game when there's never, ever been another one before? It's not really a playoff game. It's not really a regular season game. All the points scored, all of Yusuf Nurkic's rebounds, like what do you do with those statistics? Are they, are they regular season stats? Are they playoff stats? Where do they go? They just go to the player totals, question mark? Nobody really knows. They're kind of in like a limbo that's really fun from a stats perspective. Um, super odd, super unique. I'm not normally a stats guy, but that's kind of crazy. And um, I want to give the Grizzlies some credit. The Memphis Grizzlies, man, they're a fun team to watch. If you haven't watched them, uh, unfortunately, their season is over, so you can't. Um, but I, Ja Morant, man, oh my gosh. Ja Morant should be the NBA Rookie of the Year. He's developing as a shooter, too. He had a really wild step back three against the Blazers. And it's so impressive and fun to watch him. He's so fast. He just, like, he slashes to the basket. For me, I want to call him Flash Morant. Not Ja Morant. Let's call him Flash Morant. And I picture him with, like, the, the Flash mask on, his little mustache and the hair. Like, ah. Maybe he looked kind of like Static Shock with a mustache. It'd be kind of cool. Um, I just, man, it's also cool that in the Blazers-Grizzlies game, three of the best players on the court were players who went to mid-majors for college. You had Damian Lillard who went to Weber State. C.J. McCollum went to Lehigh. John Morant went to, what is it, Murray State. It's like, wow, these are guys who went to mid-major small schools and they're dominating in the NBA. Now, the Blazers are such a compelling story right now. I mean, they have fought their way into the playoffs. They're kind of the ultimate underdog where they fought back, they got in. Not to mention Damian Lillard's cousin died, Brandon Johnson, who was Damian Lillard's personal chef. He also did cook for CJ McCollum and Yusuf Nurkic. So Damian Lillard had a big loss in the family. Yusuf Nurkic had his grandma die from COVID-19. These are awful, tragic losses, and I've been through loss. Losing your brother, losing anybody is really terrible. Um, and so... Not only are the Blazers interesting with, like, really heart-wrenching, compelling stories, they're also, I mean, regardless of what happens, I mean, you've got Carmelo Anthony, you've got so many underdog stories of the eight seed against the number one seed LA Lakers coming up soon. But regardless of what happens in the future for the Portland Trailblazers in the playoffs, I just got to say, I will always remember what Damian Lillard did in the NBA bubble. It was such a crazy run. 45 points against the Nuggets. 51 against Philly. 61 against the Dallas Mavericks. 42 points to clinch the 8th seed against the Brooklyn Nets in a really close tight game in that final game in the bubble, man. The Blazers. And really Damian Lillard. I mean, even in a game, the Blazers lost to the Boston Celtics. But they were down 20 points at halftime. And CJ McCollum was really, really struggling to guard Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum is six foot eight. CJ is six foot three. And the Celtics were a bad matchup all around for the Portland Trailblazers. Their mix of speed and height is tough to defend. And the Blazers could not make it work. They're too slow to, you know, Zach Collins, Yusuf Nurkic were too slow to guard their tall wing defenders. And what Damian Lillard did, Jason Tatum was having a game where he was going off. And in the second half of that game, Damian Lillard decided to guard Jason Tatum all by himself, took it upon himself. And the Blazers fought all the way back. Even though they didn't win that game, 
to fight from down nearly 20 points and come all the way back against a team you're really not matched up well against because Damian Lillard just decided to put the team on his back in that moment. They didn't win, but it's so cool the way Damian Lillard has taken ownership and really responsibility for the Blazers' season this year. He wants to do everything he can to win. I mean, he leaves it all out on the court. I love it. I find Damian Lillard incredibly inspiring because not only do you see how close he is with his teammates, you literally can watch how they interact, their body language, he like the way he touches Yusuf Nurkic during the memorial, the what is it called, the national anthem, and they're just they're very tight knit. And then there's moments where he'll pull the team together on the court. Hey, are you five, come here. And they talk. He's like, we gotta get going. You see him pumping up the dudes around him. Damian Lillard is an incredible leader. And his style of play means that he's never going to have regret. And that's such a cool thing to be able to say. To say, I've given everything I possibly can. And when I look back on my life, I hope I can feel the same way Damian Lillard will feel after this playoff run and say, I gave it everything I could. Damian Lillard is incredible. Now, I live in the Portland area. I am. It's possible that that does influence my affinity for the Blazers just a little bit. But I'm not a Blazers fan. In fact, growing up, even though I grew up here for a lot of my life, I, I actually resented the Portland Trailblazers because as a kid, I was a Seattle Sonics fan. And so when the Seattle Sonics left Seattle, I was left without a team, and I was heartbroken, and I was mad that I had to root for the stupid Trailblazers. I was like, ah, this is my team. I don't want the Trailblazers. And so my whole life, I felt really, I just didn't want them. And the Seattle Sonics no longer exist. I do not have a favorite team. Uh, But I also love that the Blazers are this incredible underdog. It's so fun to watch them. And I love an underdog. Anytime, I remember rooting for Butler a couple years ago in the men's NCAA championship. I like an underdog. That's who I am. I like rooting for that. Uh, Now, all that being said, gushing about how much I love the Blazers. They've got Carmelo Anthony, Gary Trent Jr., Yusuf Nurkic, Damian Lillard, TJ McCollum. Despite my clear affinity for the Blazers. I don't believe that they're going to beat the Lakers in round one of the NBA playoffs. You have the number one seed LA Lakers, LeBron James, Anthony Davis against the number eight seed Portland Trailblazers. And I do believe, I really hope it's going to be an interesting competitive series. I think it's going to be really fun. I am praying for that. And it's possible that maybe my pessimism is because I'm trying to guard my heart. Like, I don't want to get my hopes up and then be disappointed later. Um, and I love LeBron, but I got to say, it would be really cool to see the Blazers beat L.A. It'd be awesome. I don't know how they're going to do it. Uh, you know, the two biggest stars for the Blazers are tiny. You got Damian Lillard is six foot two. C.J. McCollum is six foot three. C.J. McCollum, I love him. He's not a great athlete. He's not a great defender at all. So who's going to guard LeBron James? Who's going to guard Anthony Davis? Maybe Yusuf Nurkic can guard AD. Uh, but the Blazers are really bad at communicating with uh, the pick and roll. Zach Collins and Hassan Whiteside, the two other seven-footers for the Blazers, are really slow. And Zach Collins, Hassan Whiteside, they struggle to defend the three-point line. They're literally too slow when it comes to closing out. And again, I go back to C.J. McCollum. I like C.J. McCollum. He's a really good offensive player. He's really lacking on the defensive side of the ball. And not only is he short and honestly not super athletic, he's also literally got a fractured lower back right now. Um, I just think that I am very concerned about the Blazers' defense, and I do not see how 
they're going to find a way to beat the Lakers. But I got to say, I'd love it. They're a great underdog. And then not to mention, again, the Blazers revived. The 2020 Blazers team have revived Carmelo Anthony's basketball career. It's like, oh, yes. I loved Melo as a kid. I remember he was the, the cover athlete of NBA Live 2005. I had that on my PlayStation 2. I remember playing with Carmelo Anthony. And literally 15 years later, he's still in the NBA, still making it happen. The turnaround Jay I used to shoot when I was a kid against my little brother, he's doing on live television. I'm like, this is insane to me. Um, And so watching Melo this year has given me this incredible feeling of nostalgia. And then, you know, Gary Trent Jr. has been really fun to watch. He's a he was a second year. What am I calling? He's a second year player who was drafted in the second round out of Duke in 2018. Gary Trent Jr., I call him GT Jr., can hit threes. Um, He can defend a little bit, gives great effort. He's evolving as a player. He's kind of adding to his game beyond just shooting threes. I like the Blazers. I've really enjoyed watching them this year. Um, I hope that their journey does not end in the first round of the playoffs against the L.A. Lakers. I'm sure it will. But even if it does, even if the Blazers lose to the L.A. Lakers, I got to say, it's been a fun ride. They really made the bubble enjoyable and entertaining. Like the the bubble was great all around. But for me, the Blazers were the highlight of the bubble. It was fun to watch them. They're an underdog. They made it in. They got the eight seed. Mello, Nurkic, Dame. It's been a great time. And for me, Damian Lillard is just the most compelling player in the entire NBA. So I wanted to do a tribute, thank the Blazers. Their 2020 campaign has been really fun. And uh, I had a blast watching them this year. If this is the end, if in a couple games from now they're eliminated from the NBA playoffs, they lose to the Lakers, I hope I'm wrong. I, I hope they compete and win. Um, but even if they lose, I got to say, man, thank you so much to the Blazers. They gave me a lot of great entertainment. And it's been a really fun time. All right. Um, the NBA playoffs just started. In fact, uh, a few games have already taken place this morning. The Raptors beat the Nets. Uh, what else happened? Oh, it's in my notes later. Uh, we'll talk about it. There are some interesting matchups, though, in the NBA playoffs. Round one of the NBA playoffs has some really, a couple compelling matchups, and then a couple matchups that are, quite frankly, not very competitive and really, really bad. Like, the Milwaukee Bucks and the Orlando Magic. Here's my prediction. The Bucks are going to win. They got the best player in the NBA they got, they're really dominant on their roster. There's no way the Orlando Magic, they might even get sweeped. That's not a competitive series. I also don't expect the Nets and the Raptors to be very competitive either. Uh, Kyrie Irving chose to sit out. I don't want to get into that. It's not my place. It seemed weird, but I try to be compassionate of whatever Kyrie Irving's trying to do. Um, regardless, round one, the Raptors should dominate the Nets. They won game one. I like OG Ananobi. I like Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry's like this. Just a... He is so fun, so competitive, so fierce. I hope that we get Raptors and the Bucks later down the road. Uh, now, to me, the Lakers versus the Blazers is my personal favorite series. I cannot wait for that show. It's going to be so much fun. Damian Lillard and the underdog Blazers against the L.A. Lakers, Anthony Davis and LeBron James, the number eight seed versus the number one seed. I'm hoping for a great series. I just did a whole tribute topic to the Blazers earlier in the show uh, for the full episode, people out there, uh, talking about why I think the Lakers are going to beat the Blazers. And basically what it boils down to is that the Blazers' defense is really, really weak. Despite the fact they're a great story, they're really compelling. 
I have questions like who's going to guard Anthony Davis? Who's going to guard LeBron James? Damian Lillard is six foot two. CJ McCollum is six foot three, uh, and CJ McCollum has a fractured lower back, so it doesn't help. The Blazers are also slow with the their bigs. Uh, you know they can't guard the three point line very well. They're really slow to close out with Hassan Whiteside and Zach Collins. Uh, Anthony Davis can hit threes, so I wonder who's going to guard Anthony Davis. Also, the Blazers' communication on the pick and roll is quite frankly really bad. They don't talk very well. They don't switch very well. It's not good. And so I believe the Lakers are going to win in round one against the Blazers, ultimately. But I'd, I'd love to be wrong. I would love to watch the Blazers win. I'm hoping for that. Uh, I mean, Melo, Yusuf Nurkic, Damian Lillard, the Blazers are a fun story. But I do believe the Lakers, in the end, are going to win in round one of the playoffs. Now, the Miami Heat and the Indiana Pacers, uh, they're the fourth seed against the fifth seed. Two close teams. It should be a blast. You have TJ Warren versus Jimmy Butler, that feud that Jimmy Butler says it's done. I just don't buy it. I think Jimmy Butler's too too fierce and too competitive to let that really die. Uh, There's been a lot of trash talk between those two. And last time TJ Warren played in a game, because at the end of the bubble, he did take a couple days of rest. Last time before resting TJ Warren played, he only scored 12 points against the Miami Heat and Jimmy Butler. He got shut down. So I got to say, man, I love Victor Oladipo, the Pacers' other star. Jimmy Butler is this fierce competitor. Duncan Robinson for the Miami Heat is this guy who went undrafted. He shoots threes, and he's a starter, and it's a really cool, fun story. Um, So ultimately, man, I really believe that the Heat and Pacers is going to be a fun, competitive, fiery, hopefully a gritty series with some fouling and some trash talk and some anger. Um, I can't wait to watch. But in the end, I'm going to pick Miami because they shoot the three ball really well. They're a long, tall team with good defense. uh, And they can shut down T.J. Warren, which it seems like uh, is going to be a big problem for the Indiana Pacers. So again, the Miami Heat are going to beat the Pacers. The 76ers are playing the Boston Celtics. They're playing literally right now. Last I looked, the Celtics were losing 77-75, to I believe. Um, The 76ers are winning that game. But I believe in the end that the Celtics will win the series I hope it's fun. I hope it's competitive and interesting. Uh, My fear is that it could be a quick series if the 76ers struggle because they do not have Ben Simmons. He's hurt. He's their tall point guard, forward, shooting guard. No one knows. He's just this enigma of a basketball player who really, really um, helps the 76ers. Because they don't have him, obviously that's going to hurt Philadelphia. Now, Boston in general, though, Ben Simmons or not, Boston is a handful to defend. They have size, they have speed at the wing position. They have Jalen Brown is six foot seven. Gordon Hayward is six foot seven. Jason Tatum, who's really coming into his own at six foot eight. Uh, the Celtics can hit the three ball a little bit better than the 76ers. And I just wish Ben Simmons was healthy. If Ben Simmons was healthy in this series, I would have a front row seat if I could. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be, I'd want to watch that so badly. Now, the 76ers are not helpless. They do have Joel Embiid, Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris, uh, Al Horford playing against his former team, Boston. But my problem with the 76ers so far, with or without Ben Simmons, they haven't showed a lot of chemistry. And the Celtics are better coached. They're really talented. They're long. They're maybe not more talented, but they're more physically gifted, I guess, with their height and their length and their speed. And I believe the Celtics are going to beat the... Uh, Philadelphia 76ers in the long run. 
Now, the Dallas Mavericks and the L.A. Clippers, I'm believing and picking the Clippers to win, but that doesn't mean this series is not going to be fun to watch. Uh, Dallas is a young, growing team. That Luka Doncic, they have Kristaps Porzingis. Uh, the Dallas Mavericks' two stars are fun to watch. They're coming into their own. Uh, Kristaps is this totally unique player where he's seven foot three, but he's not a seven foot three center that plays inside. He's really more of a finesse shooter. It's odd. It's interesting. It's totally unique. Um, Dallas does struggle to close out games at the end. We saw that repeatedly in the bubble where, you know, the Blazers, the Dallas Mavericks could not close out. They struggled against the Suns. They struggled against also the Houston Rockets. And the Clippers are dominant. Not only are the Clippers really, really good, they're also getting back Montrez Harrell from quarantine. He's going to be ready by game one. It might take him a game or two to really get into the flux and into the flow of things. But in the end, I'm picking the Clippers. I hope it's fun. I hope it's entertaining. Um, I think the Clippers are going to win probably in six games just because it might take Montrez Harrell a little bit of time to get rolling. And because Luka's a good player. Like, Luka's going to challenge the Clippers, even if the Clippers are a better team. So... I picked the Clippers, but it should be fun along the way. Now, OKC, the OKC Thunder against the Houston Rockets. It's, uh, first of all, it's James Harden and also Russell Westbrook against their old team OKC. Really, uh, it's Russell Westbrook against his old team. It's also Chris Paul against his old team, the Houston Rockets. I expect Houston to win, but there's a lot of drama here with the storylines of guys playing against their old team. It's also the Houston Rockets, their unique small ball where they don't have a center, uh, led by James Harden and Russell Westbrook in particular, just attacking the basket. Then if there's if they really if the defense closes down and Russell Westbrook will find the outlet for three, it happens all the time. I'd be very, very surprised if the Rockets didn't win. But OKC is fun to watch. I've watched him a couple times. I like Chris Paul. He's this um I, he's just this tough dude who is a good leader and fun to watch. You either hate him or you love him. I tend to like Chris Paul. Uh, I like Shea uh, Gilgis Alexander, SGA, people call him, easier that way. Uh, but for me, it's a pretty easy pick. Houston's a better team. They shoot the ball really well, and they're so unique to match up against. You have to completely – it's just a different – it's a matchup you don't see very often. We, what it reminds you of, actually, is in the NFL – not in the NFL, what am I saying? In college football, uh, Georgia Tech runs this offense that is – totally unique where they run a triple option you won't a team like Clemson will not see that again the rest of the year so they're hard to prepare for because they're totally different from everybody else in the league the Rockets are similar um, and despite the fact that OKC and Houston are close to each other in the standings four and five fifth and uh, fourth and fifth in the standings I believe the Rockets are going to win and it's a pretty easy pick for me uh, the eighth matchup is the Utah Jazz against the Denver Nuggets in game one Went to overtime earlier today. Uh, Donovan Mitchell had a problem. They lost in overtime, one thirty-five to one twenty-five, I believe. Maybe it's ten fewer points, or I think it's I think it's either one thirty-five to one twenty-five. That's what it was, I believe. Uh, the Denver Nuggets won. I'm gonna be totally honest. I don't know a lot about these two teams. I know a little bit about the Utah Jazz. I watched them a handful of times. I'm ashamed to admit it. I have not watched the Denver Nuggets one time this year, and I. You can hate me for that, but I think it's important to admit what I don't know. I do know that I feel bad about not watching them. I wanted to watch. And that's not true. I watched a little bit of a game with Jamal Murray and uh, Nikola Jokic. I, but I, something happened. I think I didn't have NBA League Pass yet, and I couldn't watch the rest. of like, like I got like a 10-second brief clip, and then I couldn't watch any more or something like that. 
Um, it was a weird situation. I use YouTube TV to watch games. I do like Michael Porter Jr., but here's my point. Other than the fact that I know some players on the uh, Denver Nuggets, I know that I like Donovan Mitchell a lot. I know very little about this series. If I had a, a gun to my head, who are you going to pick? I would pick the Denver Nuggets to win. They're a higher seed. Uh, they won the first game. But I'll be honest, I got very little clue about this game. I'm not going to pretend. I think it's important to admit what I don't know. I'm also probably not going to watch a lot of the Nuggets and Jazz series, which I'm sorry to Nuggets and Jazz fan that want to hear my opinion on it. I'm not going to get to it. I got to watch a lot of film. There's other series that actually just like the Blazers Lakers. If I had to pick Blazers Lakers or Nuggets Jazz, I'm not going to watch the Nuggets Jazz game. Um, and so the Nuggets Jazz series, it's happening. Woo! But other than that, I guess I picked the Nuggets because they're a higher seed. I have very little about this, and I, you know, other than it's happening. So round one of the NBA playoffs should be fun. I, I, like, I talk about what I know. I try to be honest and admit what I don't know. Uh, and the worst thing I could do with the Nuggets and the Jazz is pretend to know something that I don't know. So let's run through it again. Here are my predictions for round one of the NBA playoffs. You have, I have the Celtics beating the 76ers. I have the Lakers over the Blazers. The Raptors over the Nets. That's a very easy one. The Bucks over the Magic. Another very easy, obvious series. Uh, the Heat are going to beat the Pacers, in my opinion. They're going to shut down TJ Warren. Jimmy Butler, Duncan Robinson, they're a fun team to watch. Uh, the Rockets are going to beat the Thunder. The Clippers will beat Dallas. And then again, because I don't have a lot of information on this one, I guess the Nuggets are going to beat Utah? Question mark? I don't know. Uh, I hope you watch the NBA playoffs. They look like they're going to be a blast. And I'll be watching them as along. I'll do a reaction after the round one of the NBA playoffs. Should be a great time. And uh, yeah, those are my predictions for round one of the NBA playoffs. Okay, I need some pineapple juice. Helps your throat. Um, I'll be honest. I really would like to see the NBA playoff format make a change. Where, you know, for example... The Orlando Magic made the playoffs in the Eastern Conference, even though the Grizzlies and the Suns had a better record than than the Magic in the West. And it's not a new problem, but this year in particular, the Suns went undefeated in the bubble, and the Grizzlies fought hard. John Morant was fun to watch. And meanwhile, the Magic just kind of fell flat. They went 3-5 and in the bubble. They weren't very interesting. And the round one matchup of the Milwaukee Bucks and the Orlando Magic it's something no one's going to watch. It's a snooze fest. It's not interesting. I would have watched the Bucks and the Phoenix Suns just because Devin Booker versus Giannis, that's fun. That's interesting. It'd be entertaining. And so my point here is we do not need an Eastern and a Western conference for the playoffs. It's a hindrance. It gets in the way. I think it'd be best if we just took the best 16 teams and made a 16-team playoff bracket. It'd be awesome. It'd be so much more interesting Uh, Especially when you look ahead to the NBA Western Conference. Like next year, you're going to have 10 or 11 teams that are really, really good. And good teams are going to miss out on the playoffs. Like you're going to have the Phoenix Suns or the Memphis Grizzlies that didn't make it this year. Also, don't forget that the Golden State Warriors are coming back. They're going to be healthy and better. Um, I just got to say, man, there are exciting and fun teams in the Western Conference that are getting left out. And it's a shame. It's really not a good idea. Uh, Some people would argue that you cannot have a series where you're traveling from the East Coast all the way to the West Coast. But then I'd say, well, what about the NBA Finals last year with the Golden State Warriors and the Toronto Raptors? 
they're playing a game in Toronto, and then two days later, they're in San Francisco. Like, why can't you do that? It seems totally fine. And then you're going to tell me that Memphis, Tennessee is really in the West? <sighs> That's stupid. Memphis, Tennessee, I believe they were in Vancouver, Canada, then got moved to Memphis. Um, Memphis could not play Atlanta. Even though those states touch each other, you're never going to see a playoff series between Memphis and Atlanta unless it's the NBA Finals because they're in different conferences. Even though, again, Georgia and Tennessee literally share a border. That's nonsense. And not like a little bit. I mean, they are Memphis, Tennessee is way over to the east side of the country. So it's just nonsense. It's silly. I think it's time to get rid of the... Eastern Conference and the Western Conference, at least in relation to the NBA playoffs. It's silly. It's nonsensical. It doesn't help the sport. And then, you know, if you want East and West to be kind of a rubric or a way to build the regular season schedule, totally fine. I get it. I think it'd still be unbalanced because you'd say, well, the Eastern Conference schedule is easier than the West. I don't like that either. Um, But hey, for the playoffs at the very least, we don't need it. East and West just gets in the way from the best teams being in the NBA playoffs. I don't like it. It's silly. I think a 16-team tournament would provide the best matchups. To have a 16-team bracket sounds great to me. I'd love that. I think it'd be interesting. And I just don't want to see good teams get left out and then have the Orlando Magic playing the Milwaukee Bucks in round one of the NBA playoffs and a series that's just wasted. No one's going to watch because the teams involved, one of the teams involved at the very least, is not competitive and not interesting. It's a waste. It's a shame. And I think the NBA would be better off if we got rid of using the Eastern and Western Conference in the playoffs. Okay, uh, the Pelicans have fired their head coach, Alvin Gentry. Alvin Gentry had been in New Orleans for five years, five seasons. And uh, the Pelicans, to me, are this young team on the rise. They're really fun to watch. They got Brandon Ingram. Drew Holiday, Lonzo Ball, Zion Williamson, they're all coming back next year. Not to mention a great role player, Josh Hart, who I really like. Uh, And the question is, I guess there's two questions here. What coach is the right coach to help develop Zion Williamson? But also, what coach can help this young team grow and become a winning franchise? That's the really important thing here with the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, it was reported that the Pelicans are considering either Jason Kidd or also Ty- Tyron Lue, who was LeBron's former coach in Cleveland. I like either option. I don't, I don't know well enough to know who's better. It's going to be interesting to see what the Pelicans decide. But this is a very, very important decision that is critical to the future of the New Orleans Pelicans. And I'll be honest, I'm rooting for them because I remember when... The Pelicans, I mean, the Pelicans have been awful for years. And finally this year with Zion, with Brandon Ingram, with Lonzo Ball, with I'm going to miss J.J. Redick if he leaves. It was fun to watch the Pelicans. They've become a compelling, interesting team. They've become one in the last year or so. Um, I also want to give people a reminder that years ago, maybe three years ago, the Toronto Raptors fired their head coach, Dwayne Casey. And the Raptors fired Dwayne Casey right after he won Coach of the Year. And his team literally had the best record in the Eastern Conference. But he got swept in the playoffs by LeBron and the Cleveland Cavaliers. And when the Raptors fired Dwayne Casey, I went, "What? why would you do that? He's a good coach. He had a good year. Well, the Raptors hired Nick Nurse. And Nick Nurse was actually exactly the boost that Toronto needed. They had Nick Nurse. They also got Kawhi Leonard. 
And those two led the Raptors to a championship last year against the Golden State Warriors. And so my point here is that, yes, Kawhi Leonard played a part for sure. But to go from losing in the first round of the NBA playoffs to being the team that beats the Golden State Warriors with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and Kevin Durant in the NBA Finals, coaching mattered there. Coaching played a big part in the Toronto Raptors being elevated. A coach can really make a massive difference in your franchise. And with the right coach, man, the Pelicans could really take a big step forward with Zion, with Lonzo, with Brandon Ingram, who's probably the NBA's most improved player. The Pelicans are a team I want to be good. I want to be interesting. And I have nothing against Alvin Gentry. But I hope that the change in head coaching positions is going to make the New Orleans Pelicans an even better team that can take the next step forward into their future as a franchise. All right. Um, a lot of people have already talked about the it's, it's the Kima Sivaran story, which is the story of a guy who was a undrafted free agent who was cut by the Seattle Seahawks after he tried to sneak a woman into the team hotel. And the way it happened is objectively funny where he and okay, he tried to dress the woman up like a player to sneak her into the team hotel. Um, and a lot of people have roasted this guy. I'm sure Twitter had a field day with the guy. I don't want to add to that. I see no reason to, you know, add fuel to the fire or something. People are already making fun of him. They're already kind of dragging him through the mud. Um, I will say that Flemlo Raps, he's a, a content creator. I don't watch very often, um, but he, he's a good storyteller and he made a great video. I think he covered this story the best where he, instead of making fun of Kima Sivarand, he decided to use it as a moment to not only be compassionate and talk about how this guy really cost his opportunity to chase his dream and really kind of destroyed all his hard work. He also, Flemlo, to his credit, used it as a moment to teach a lesson to everybody. Um, now, I think part of, and he said, like, really, it was a lesson for him about responsibility for players. Um, and this is why this story is very important. The Seahawks did not just cut him. They could have just cut him and been very quiet about why. The reason why he was cut and the reason why what happened in the hotel was made public was to send a message throughout the entire NFL. Hey, by the way, COVID-19 is a big, very serious thing. Do not mess with protocols. Do not put your teammates in a in danger or in a risky situation. Do not compromise the protocols we've put into place. And, you know, by cutting Kima Sivaran the way they did and making it very public, why they did what they did, sharing the details, making putting it all out there, they put the league on notice. It was an interesting move because they were telling players, hey, not just Seattle Seahawks players, everybody in the NFL, be smart with what you do outside of practice. That's the takeaway here. It's not about making fun of some guy who made a mistake. And honestly, I think it was a dumb, it, he made a dumb mistake, which is awful. But it's not about making fun of that guy. It's about reminding the rest of the league, hey, you got to be really smart, really careful, do the right thing. Do not compromise this year and put people at risk because you're, you have a desire to be selfish, basically. So um, if you haven't, go watch the Flemlo Raps video. I just want to give him credit and affirmation because everyone saw this as an opportunity to make fun of the guy. And you know, Flemlo doesn't address this, but he really did do a good job being compassionate and telling a good, interesting story rather than just you know taking a cheap shot at the guy uh, and trying to get laughs on Twitter. Uh, good on Flemlo Raps, and um, 
Kima Sivrand is just a, a message to the rest of the league. Hey, be smart when you're not at practice. Alex Smith is back. Alex Smith, the Washington quarterback, is back. Uh, he is off the physically unable to perform list, the pup list. Remember, he had a horrific, awful leg injury in November 2018. It's literally been over a year since Alex Smith played football, almost two years ago. He did not play at all last year in 2019. In fact, the team even drafted Dwayne Haskins in the first round of the NFL draft to get him as a replacement. So the quarterback battle in Washington just got very, very interesting because Alex Smith has been cleared. He can now play. And last time I watched Alex Smith play, I remember going, wow, he's going pretty good in Washington. He was, in fact, they were number one in the NFC East. I think if Alex Smith doesn't get hurt, then you might have, depending on all the other stuff that came out, you know, about the misconduct with the team, you might have the same head coach they had before, Jay Gruden. Things might be very, very different in Washington if Alex Smith had not gotten hurt. And so I'm just really curious, does Alex Smith play? What's going to happen here? What kind of role is Alex Smith going to have in Washington? Is he going to be the mentor backup to Dwayne Haskins? Or could he somehow be the starter and, you know, maybe start for a year or two, then hand the job back to Dwayne Haskins? I have no idea. Uh, I do know that Ron Rivera, the head coach of Washington, has been very, very, like, oddly noncommittal to Dwayne Haskins. He keeps saying, like, he's got to earn it. He's got to prove it. I wonder if part of that was so that he could leave the door open in case Alex Smith did come back and showed he was the better quarterback. I don't know. Uh, I do know that I did a film analysis of Dwayne Haskins. He had a an ugly year last year. Now, not all that was his fault. He had a messy off a coach situation, which coach got fired mid-year, and the offensive line was awful. And clearly, like, there's a really awful culture in Washington. So the problems with Dwayne Haskins last year, Dwayne Haskins' problems were not all entirely his fault. But I am still really curious. How does Alex Smith eventually impact this team in Washington. I don't know. Is Alex Smith going to play? Is he not? Can't tell you. I'm not in the building. I don't know. I'll talk to some sources down the road. We'll see what happens. Um, But, man, um, I just can't wait to watch things play out in that building and find out, does Alex Smith eventually play? And how will that impact Dwayne Haskins? Guys, it's time for the final topic of the day. It's a long one. It's about form of the one. If you want to check out now, no problem. Love you. Have a great day. Bam, the show is great. Um, but on Sunday, we had the Spanish Grand Prix. Uh, honestly, probably for me, it was the least interesting Formula One race I have ever watched. Um, and now with that said, though, I want to be clear. Every race day for me, Formula One races air at 6 in the morning here in America for me on the West Coast. And when I wake up and watch a Formula One race, it feels like, it's like Christmas morning. I'm like, ah, even a bad race, like not bad is the wrong word there. Even a, a less interesting race in Formula One for me is still awesome. I love watching Formula One. Now, to nobody's surprise, Lewis Hamilton won. This is his fourth year in a row winning the Spanish Grand Prix. Um, he was just way ahead the entire race. I mean, literally, like he was a pit stop ahead of everybody. He just kind of took off and we never saw him again. And so I'm happy for... Lewis Hamilton, he's a, he seems like a good dude, hard to hate for me personally. Um, but as a fan of Formula One, it's just not very interesting when Lewis Hamilton dominates the way he did. 
Now, Max Verstappen got second with Red Bull. Valtteri Bottas got third. And I want to talk about Max Verstappen for a minute because, first of all, Max does such a great job. And Max maximizes, like maximizing Max is like a funny nickname, but he does such a good maxim- good job. Max Verstappen does a good job maximizing the performance of his car. Like legitimately, you're like, wow. It's impressive how he always gets the best he possibly can out of that machine. Now, I want to talk about Alex Albin's strategy in a minute. Uh, but first, I got to say, Red Bull's pit stops, oddly, interestingly enough, were phenomenal on Sunday. Uh, their best pit stop was 1.9 seconds with, I believe, Max Verstappen, way better than Mercedes. Mercedes had a 4.3 second pit stop with Lewis Hamilton. Valtteri Bottas had a 3.1 second pit stop. Mercedes was actually kind of sloppy in the pit lane, in my opinion. But their car pace is just so far superior to Red Bull, it didn't matter. It, I just wish that those little things that Red Bull does right were actually things that had an impact on the race because they do the little things right and still are nowhere near Mercedes. That's how dominant Lewis Hamilton is with Mercedes um, because their car pace is crazy. Now, Valtteri Bottas did have a another bad start in Spain. He had another a start, bad start earlier where he kind of had that false start. I believe it was... Was it steering? I don't remember which Grand Prix it was. He had a, a false start in one of the races. They decided not to penalize him because Valtteri Bottas just had, has had a weird time struggling to start races this year where, you know, on turn one, he got passed by not only Max Verstappen, he also gave an opening to Lance Stroll to get on the right of him and get inside and go around him. So um, it's not the first time this year, and it's maybe not the last, if Valtteri Bottas has been, infected, uh, been impacted by his start on the race. And it really made it so he constantly had to chase and try to get back into position. That's why Max Verstappen got P2 and Valtteri Bottas got P3, aside from pace, aside from other things. Now, I'm sure that Mercedes is still happy with Valtteri Bottas. Um, he keeps getting podiums, and they're actually probably quietly thankful that, hey, like if you're, if you're Mercedes looking at Valtteri Bottas, you're like, well, he scores a lot of points. He gets podiums quite frequently. Um, and also, as a benefit, because he's not as good, he actually quite effectively stays out of the way of Lewis Hamilton. Yes, Mercedes is probably not as dominant if they, as if they had a better driver, but a better driver would get in the way of Lewis Hamilton and cause problems. And so maybe very quietly behind the scenes, Mercedes you know, is breathing a sigh of relief going, ah, we got a perfect, he's just the right amount of good. He's good enough to get podiums, but he's not good enough to get in the way of Lewis Hamilton. Thank goodness. Um now, again, this was somewhat of a boring race. I mean, by the end, only the top three cars, Lewis, Max, and Boltoffs, were even on the lead lap. Everybody else was lapped, which is like, ugh, not great. Um, now, Alex Albin, the other driver for Red Bull, needs to be better. Now, part of the problems that Alex Albin had were caused by his team and some poor strategy. But also, Alex Alba needs to do a better job and qualify faster. He needs to do a better job in qualifying and get farther up the starting grid. Alex Albin finished in eighth. Uh, he started in sixth, so he actually just lost two places during the race, which is not very good, uh, in my opinion, when you're driving the Red Bull car, which has got a clearly good pace when you watch Max Verstappen. But I got to say, to Alex Albin's credit, uh, Red Bull really hurt him. He was kind of their sacrificial guinea pig at one point where... Red Bull made Alex Albin do a pit stop very early, and they had him put on hard tires uh, because Red Bull needed to test the hard tires to see if they had any grip on race day on the track. 
And it was valuable information because the hard tires were actually awful. And it was good for Red Bull to know because then they put Max Verstappen on the mediums instead. And that got themselves a P2. So good for Red Bull. Good for Max Verstappen. The problem is that to test the hard tires, Red Bull completely compromised Alex Albin's drive. Again, Red Bull did what was best for Max. And the P2 helps Red Bull. Like, great, good job. But if Red Bull ever wants to challenge Mercedes, which maybe maybe Red Bull's just conceded, hey, we're the second best team this year. We're not going to be able to push Mercedes. But if, in fact, Red Bull ever does want to push Mercedes, they need Alex Albin in P4, pushing right up behind the top three cars, trying to get a spot, vying for positioning. Uh, so I just <clears throat> I feel very conflicted because maybe Red Bull, again, has just decided we're not going to win this year. We're trying to get second. We're trying to make Max Verstappen look good. Um, but again, if Red Bull ever wants to push Mercedes, they need to not only have Alex Albon do better, they need to help Alex Albon do better as well. No racing point took home P4 and P5. Lance Stroll was fourth. Sergio Perez was fifth after a five-second penalty. Racing point to me is very clearly the third best team on the grid in Formula One. And the standings reflect that. Even after losing 15 points, so 1-5, 15 points, Racing Point is third in the Constructors' Championship. Uh, the McLaren was very quiet in Spain. They are, in fact, one point behind Racing Point in the Constructors' standings. They are fourth. Uh, and in the Spanish Grand Prix, Racing Point, what am I saying? Uh, McLaren, excuse me. McLaren with Carlos Sainz got sixth place. Carlos Sainz got sixth. Lando Norris got tenth. So McLaren is right behind Racing Point. But imagine if Racing Point hadn't had 15 points deducted. It's very clear that Racing Point is not the same team they've been in the past. They're really, they're growing as a team. They're getting better. They're pushing harder. And I, I got to say, like, I was wrong. I, I, I've been very skeptical for a long time, like waiting and waiting and waiting. No, um, after Spain, it's very clear. Racing Point is the third best team on the grid in Formula One. Now, Ferrari was a gigantic gigantic mess in Spain. Uh, they've been a mess all year. They were a mess in Spain. They've been a mess consistently. Ferrari's engine is awful. Their engine is just a gigantic... Uh, they're a midfield team that has a bunch of problems. They remind me of Renault last year. Uh, first of all, Charles Leclerc's engine literally just shut off mid-corner in Spain. You're like, how does that... What? He had to retire. His seatbelt was also broken, so... Red Bull's got, what am I saying? Ferrari has significant problems with their engine. It's not good. It's not pretty. Uh, and also the way that Ferrari handled Sebastian Vettel. Sebastian Vettel, it was alarming what they did with him. Uh, their communication was terrible. They kept giving him some conflicting instructions where they told him to push flat out. And then three laps later, they told Sebastian Vettel to save the tires and try to go all the way with them. It's infuriating to watch because you're like, what is happening here? And my guess is that Ferrari's communication problems go all the way up to the top, probably all the way up to Mattia Bonotto, where, you know, Mattia Bonotto is a team principal. And I got to say, man, Ferrari really, really annoyed me this weekend, where Mattia Bonotto, who is the uh, team principal of Ferrari, came out and said that he wanted transparency with the Racing Point investigation. But saying that is completely hypocritical for anyone who works at Ferrari, because in the offseason, the FIA, the governing body of Formula One, investigated Ferrari's engine. And ever since that investigation, Ferrari has been way, 
way slower. They look like a midfield team. So you wonder, okay, what happened? And guess what? (laughs) The details of that investigation are completely private. We cannot see what happened in that inquiry. So where is Ferrari's transparency? Ferrari can call for Racing Point and the FIA to be transparent. But why hasn't Ferrari come out and said, hey, the FIA looked into our engine and this is what they found. We were cheating. We were doing this or that. So you can't call out someone for a lack of transparency when you yourself are not being transparent. That's completely wrong and stupid and hypocritical. And so I I just – I find Ferrari disorganized, annoying, hypocritical. They're not – they're probably my least favorite team on the grid uh, just because they're so pompous and they're so – no, we're Ferrari, and then there's nothing to back it up, and they talk a lot, and they're weirdly run. I just the more I learn about Formula One, the less and less and less I like Ferrari. Now, the last thing I want to say is this: I don't think that Max Verstappen, the Red Bull driver, gets enough credit for his maturity. Uh, I know a lot of people hate Max Verstappen from the series Netflix, the Netflix series Drive to Survive, where people didn't like the way that. Max Verstappen handled uh, working with uh, Daniel Ricciardo. People love Daniel Ricciardo. They feel like Max Verstappen didn't do him right. Um, But I got to say also, Max has grown a lot in the two years since season one, Drive to Survive. He's only 22 years old. And Max is really the face of the franchise for Red Bull. He's like an NFL quarterback. And I think he always says the right thing. His interviews are phenomenal. And then mid-race on Sunday... He had this brilliant moment where he said to Red Bull on the team radio, he goes, let's stop worrying about Mercedes out in front of us. We just got to focus on our race and control what we can control. And it's a good message. Max was right because you cannot slow down Lewis Hamilton. I'm sorry, but you're not going to make the Mercedes go any slower. All you can do is get the most out of your car. And that's what Max did. That's what Max said. Uh, And Max got P2. So, the more I watch of Max, I love Max. He's my personal favorite driver in Formula One. I get that people don't like him, but you also have to step back and realize Max is not the same person he was two years ago. And he's just growing as a person, as a driver, as a face of a franchise. Max is just the rising star in Formula One. And people that hate him need to maybe question and maybe try to look at how Max Verstappen has grown because it's okay to be a different person now than you were two years ago. And I hope that people's opinion of him can change along with Max Verstappen, who also appears to be changing. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much. I appreciate you tuning in. I love you guys. Um, film analysis is on the way. Got a lot of stuff to talk about, a lot of stuff to watch and uh, record about. So, guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so much. But um bum bam, we are done.